0: summons your senses to God's word as we go to this third section of the sermon series on the advent of Christ. When we speak of advent, we're talking about his coming. So we're looking backwards the fact that Jesus Christ, God, took upon human flesh and came into the world. But church, there is a second advent. And I believe the church today should not be so focused on Christ came, but we ought to look forward to His second return because He is coming back again. Amen. 1889, Mark Twain pen his now infamous novel, "The Prince and the Pauper." The story is about a ten-year-old prince, Edward. And he meets a street boy, a pauper, by the name of Tom Conti. The two of them are really identical in appearance, so much so that they decided to trade places. The Prince Edward had wanted to live amongst the common people to have the experience of what it was like living outside of the palace, what it was like living outside of royalty and becoming one with common folks in a common society. He wanted to feel what people felt on a daily basis. On the other hand, Tom Conti the pauper, who wouldn't want to live in the king's palace? And so they swapped clothes. The pauper took off his old, dingy, raggedy clothes and exchanged it with the Prince Edward and he put on his clothes of royalty. They looked so identical that society couldn't tell that the prince was now pauper and the pauper was now living and abiding in the king's house as prince. As time went on and they both began to integrate in their new societies. The king died. The father of the prince. Word got back to the actual prince and he tried to convince everyone that he was the real prince. Eventually the pauper who is now prince now made heir to the throne as king, they decided to go ahead and switch places. <laughs> but since the the prince is now king and has lived as pauper amongst the common people, he understands their burden and their plight. He feels what they feel as a result of living among them and becoming one with them. One of the reasons why I'm so gripped by this story, the prince and the pauper, is because it reminds me of the story of Jesus the Christ. Because Jesus, though he was by nature God, yet he did not consider equality or something to be grasped to be God. He emptied himself. That's what the scripture says. He emptied himself. The Greek word for emptying is kenosis. He he emptied himself. He never stopped being God But yet he became man. He never stopped being man, but he was fully God. And he took upon the nature of a servant, common man, a pauper. He was born in human likeness and the appearance like any other man. And he had the exact same experiences that anyone else would have. The king becomes pauper. He leaves his heavenly castle the son of the king, and he enters into this dark and dingy and dismal world. He doesn't come dressed in royal attire and uh, royal robe, but he doesn't come riding on a royal steed or horse, but instead he comes dressed in pauper's clothes, dressed in the rags and blood of humanity. A pauper. Dr. Luke, in Luke chapter 2, he very vividly Places a frame around this masterpiece and he gaudily captures the nativity scene or the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem of Judea. I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2 as we read the first seven verses to capture this story. Luke chapter 2 and the very first verse, starting with verse 1 all the way through chapter 7. Will you stand with me this morning as We read and adhere to God's and give our attention to God's word. Luke says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place when Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth and Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Why? Because he was of the house in the lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed or engaged wife, who was now with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. You may be seated. If I could tag and title this text today, I would tag it, How Low Will He Go? How Low Will He Go? One of the things I've noticed is that People today, they love greatness. I think one of the greatest reasons why people want to be great is because of the notoriety and the fame. People will do almost anything to be noticed. Matter of fact, greatness has a certain attractiveness to it. There are people in sports, entertainment, business, and even politics who are famous in sports. Everybody wants to be like Mike. Kanye himself said recently that he's the greatest artist that God has ever created on the face of the earth. People love greatness. They want to be known. Muhammad Ali years ago said, I am the greatest. And he said it, I quote, I said that even before I was. But the reality is all of these people who desire to be famous, all of these people who live for notoriety, Give them a little time. They will either no longer be remembered or as each day and every year passes, they'll become less and less infamous. World records will be broken. Great hits will be surpassed by other hits. The fame and notoriety will not be able to withstand the test of time. But then there's Jesus, church. (laughs) The most famous figure of all time and his notoriety continues to grow as each day passes. He continues to be the most talked about human figure throughout all antiquity. Yet at the same token he has withstood the test of time. This is the same Jesus that never sought after fame or notoriety. But he is the most noted person of all time. The same Jesus has never written a book, but there is this one book that has been written about him. That is the most read book of out of all books that have been published and has sold more copies than any other book. This same Jesus never wrote a song about himself. And now that when we look in the Word of God, has he? Do we ever see him singing songs? The more songs have been written about Jesus than anyone else. And even to this day, they're still writing daily and singing songs about Jesus. The same Jesus never traveled more than four hundred and eighty miles from his home, including the time Mary and Joseph carried him into Egypt. But the same Jesus, his notoriety and name has traveled the Gold, where all around the world they know about Jesus. The narrative before us in Luke chapter two. The gospel writer, Dr. Luke, he tells us about the coming of God in human flesh. Last week, we talked about and pondered on the idea of incarnation, the enfleshing of God, God coming in human flesh, the most popular figure of all time, the king of kings, not coming to establish a reputation of Himself not riding again in a lofty chariot, not abiding in a royal palace, not sitting on a king's throne, throne, uh, uh, throne but he came as a pauper. And yet he was still king. <laughs> Throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament writers, they've been introducing this king for 1,500 years before he was ever born into the world physically. Christ has always been abiding in the shadows of the Old Testament. The Old Testament writers painted Christ and whatever the figure it might have been, but Christ was standing there all along. He was a Polaroid snapshot waiting to be developed in human flesh. Philip, after he seen Jesus eye to eye, he read and found Nathaniel and he said to him, we found the one Moses in the wall had been writing about and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. <laughs> Jesus was in the shadows of the Old Testament. Can I tell you a little bit about him? When we see Abraham climbing Mount Moriah at the instruction of God and he takes his only son, Isaac, there lays him on the altar. And he looks toward heaven with a knife raised, ready to sacrifice his son. And God stops the knife from falling. Because God has prepared his own sacrifice. Christ was in the shadows at Mount Moriah. Moses standing there at a burning bush that was on fire, but it was not consumed. Christ was standing there in the shadows of a burning bush. Jonah in the belly of a great fish for three days. And then spewed out unto land. It's a picture of Christ in the shadows. Resting in the grave for three days and then on the third day he rises out of the grave into full life. The Law of Moses was just a tutor. It was a, another one saying that it was a guide. It was leading us. It was a road map. Christ is contained in the law as a shadow. Jeremiah the prophet asked this question. Is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician there? that can heal the sin-sick soul. Christ was there in Gilead, the great physician. The Passover feast, the feast of unleavened bread, is Christ in the shadows as the sacrificial lamb and the bread of life without sin or yeast. The first reference that we ever have of Christ is found not by the prophets, but in Genesis chapter 3. It's when God himself announces to, to, uh, Eve after she transgressed against God. That there will be enmity, enmity between Satan and your seed. We all know that a woman doesn't have a seed. But we know that Christ was conceived of the Holy Spirit inside of Mary. And he says to, to, uh, Eve that this seed in your womb, he will bruise his heel, but Satan will bruise his head. And we turn some th- uh, 2,000 years later, and we find Christ at Calvary, a place called Golgotha, a place of the skull. And it's there we find, theologically, is referred to as a theophany, or more particularly, it is a Christophany, where Christ himself bruises the head of Satan through his death at a place called the skull. Christ has his head on the skull of Christ, <laughs> of Satan. But at the same token, Satan is bruising his heel. Christ in the shadows. From Genesis to Malachi, we see Christ in the shadows. But then when we turn to the Gospels of the New Testament, Luke chapter 2 in particular, we see the presence of this present now present with his people. I'm going to say that again in case some of y'all were sleeping on that. Paul said it this way, thanks be unto God for his indescribable gift. And so when Christ came in human flesh, we see his presence of this present becomes now present to his people. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, Jesus, who has always been God, takes upon human flesh and becomes something that he has never been before, but now will forever be fully man, and fully God at the same time. It is in this second chapter of Luke that we see a picture of this long-awaited and greatly anticipated glory of God coming down low. King Jesus coming down low. I want us to look at six low points so that we will know just how low Christ is willing to go even today. Six points we gather from these seven verses of Luke chapter 2. First of all, I see the King Jesus came at what seems like imperfect timing. Somebody say imperfect timing. He comes at what seems like imperfect timing. Consider the timing of Jesus Christ's birth. It wasn't pleasant times in Israel. They were under Roman oppression. It's not not perfect timing. Mary, his mother, is nine months pregnant, expecting to give birth any day. She has to go to Bethlehem of Judea for the census established by the Roman government. It's not a good time for a pregnant mother to be traveling. Consider the timing of Jesus' birth. Mary conceives as a young teenage girl, but she is not yet married. It's not a good time to have a baby. Because of the census and because Bethlehem was filled with travelers, there was no vacancy at the inn, the motel, the hotel, or the holiday inn. Not a good time. But how many folk know that God's time is not man's time? Paul says and writes to the Church of Galatians Galatians 4 and 4, But when the fullness of time had come, but when the fullness, when the time was right on God's calendar, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. See, things ain't got to be perfect for God to go to work. (laughs) Look at God's timing in his son, Jesus. He's, He's the one, Christ, who is boundless by time. But yet church subjected himself to the confines of his mother's womb and then the constructive gestation, he endured nine months on a timetable that man has designed. Y'all, y'all didn't get that, let me say it again. This is the same God that cr- created the entire world in six days deep, but he submits himself to the laws of nature in time and incubates Nine months in a mother's womb. A womb that he created for himself. Y'all still didn't get that. This is the same God that existed before time. He created time. Created day and night. Stood between the a.m. and p.m. And was neither bound nor touched by either of them. Yet he submitted himself to time. Y'all still didn't get that. This is the same God that existed on yesterday. Time but who is already into tomorrow, time. And standing here today and neither yesterday nor tomorrow affects his day, his day, time. Y'all still didn't get that. Not only that, but listen, because he submitted himself to time for his birth, Christ had to also submit himself to time for his death. (laughs) Before Christ left, left his heavenly office, His father handed him a terrestrial appointment card for death. He had a scheduled appointment for death. You know what the word of God says. For it is once appointed unto man to die. Even in the garden of Gethsemane. Christ tried to reschedule his appointment with death with his father. If it be your will. Let this death pass. And he looked at his appointment with death on his appointment card. And said nevertheless. Let your will be done. (laughs) But what does this tell us? It tells us that God is not bound by time. We might have a situation where we feel like we're running out of time. Where we're confined by time. Or that time is not on our side. But Jesus shows us that he is always on time. Not on our timetable, but on God's timetable. The Bible even starts off with these words, Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning was God. Now, now, can we get theological for a moment? The word the was added that was not in original Hebrew. So the text should really read this way. In beginning, God. In beginning, not the beginning. In other words, if we say in the beginning, it sounds like that's when God started to exist. But in beginning says that God is the one who existed before beginning and created beginning. God is not bound by time. God is in time. He is on time and all time. I can hear dotty people singing. He's an on time God. Yes, he is. How low will he go? Second thing I see is that this King Jesus, he not only came in an imperfect time. But this same Jesus came in unlikely circumstances. Unlikely circumstances. First of all, this just grabbed me late last night. Jesus was born a baby. But I had to pause and ask, what can a baby do for you? Every baby I've ever seen and known, you've got to do for the baby. Because the baby can't do for himself. Babies are nice to look at and they're cute, some of them, most of them. But what can a baby do for you? This is the same God that created the first man, Adam, out of the dust and made him a full-grown man in an instant. But why is it that the second Adam, Jesus, came not as a full-grown man but was born in Bethlehem of Judea? Out of his mother's womb. Listen to this. And then grew up to be a man. Could it be because he wanted the full experiences of humanity? from the crib to the cross from the cradle to the grave so that you and I will not only know that he's the great high priest that he's not an empathizer but he's a sympathizer whatever you have felt from your birth to the grave Christ has already felt it whatever pains whatever joys whatever pleasure Christ has already felt it whatever trials whatever temptations you are not beyond the knowledge and the feelings of God the circumstances Born of a virgin, an unwed mother considered illegitimate by society. The circumstances, he is the stepson of Joseph. And not only that, but Joseph is a blue-collar worker. The circumstances, he's raised in Nazareth of Galilee. And the question has been posed. Can there be any good thing that comes out of God? I wish I hadn't had preached by myself. The circumstances. His mother Mary and Joseph had to travel from Bethlehem, from, uh, 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 Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem. Scholars tell us that it's 80 miles from point A to point B. 80 miles of trekking across, uh, treacherous, uh, terrain and unlevel soil up and down hills and through the valleys. And she's nine months pregnant. And we always see these pictures of uh, uh, Mary riding side saddle on a donkey. I don't care if you're walking or on a donkey. 80 miles is 80 miles. She wasn't in the air-conditioned booth uh, in the corner with, with button tuck seats. If you divide up 80 miles, 10 miles is a long Journey each day it took her eight days a nine months pregnant woman about to deliver any day to get from Nazareth down to Bethlehem and when she got there there was no room in the end but why would Jesus come under these circumstances just to show us just how low he's willing to go Jesus is trying to say to us, no matter what your circumstances look like, he totally understands. If you're born in poverty, he understand. If you're born in the palace, he understand. If you're born to your biological parents and they're both in the household, that's great. He understand. But at the same token, if you're a stepchild or a stepparent, he understands. When you've been ostracized and criticized and been the talk of the town because of what's going on in your dysfunctional home, he understands. God sees, God knows, and God cares. <laughs> There is no circumstance that God will not meet you at. I wish I had a witness here. A breathing witness. How low will he go? Thirdly, I see the King Jesus was born in the most unlikely place. Not only the, the timing wasn't right. Not only the circumstances wasn't conducive. But he was born in the most unlikely place. Jesus is from Nazareth of Galilee, born in Bethlehem of Judea. Bethlehem is referred to as the city of bread. But yet at the same token, in this life of Israel, this time of Israel, instead of them producing loaves of bread, they're living in the ghetto of shame, of crumbs. There's a lack of hope. There's bleakness throughout the country. They're living in spiritual depression and oppression. But Jesus, the loaf of bread, the living bread, came to bring life. He came to bring joy. He came to bring hope. He came to bring purpose and fulfillment. He came to bring salvation. He came to bring uh, deliverance from sin and oppression. But because there was no room for him in the end, Savior of the world, King of kings and Lord of lords, He was born in a barn, church. (laughs) There's no other way of saying it. He was born in a barn. The Messiah, the one who created the world and owned the cattle on a thousand hills, the earth and the fullness thereof is his. And he was born in a barn. Now, now, let me pause for a second. I don't know how many of you all are, are from the country. If you're from the country, say I'm from the country. Not the country, but the country. The country is the United States of America. But the country is where you live outside the city in the United States. If you've ever lived in the country, no doubt you have been inside a barn. And here's what I notice about a barn. A barn is a barn. I don't care what you do to it. You can paint it. (laughs) you can hang chandeliers in it you can spray it down but a barn is still a barn you can hang streamers with a banner say welcome Welcome home baby Jesus but a barn is still a barn dirty hay on the ground animal feces a smelly aroma cobwebs flies, mosquitoes, insect, I don't care what you do to it, but at the end of the day, a barn is still a barn, a barn, a stable. But he wasn't just born in a barn. But after his birth, he was laid by his mother in a manger. And that manger is a real cute word for a livestock feeding trough. We're talking about the God who has created all the trees that is now laying in a byproduct of the trees, a wooden feeding trough. We're talking about the God that's created all the animals in the world that is now not only surrounded by animals, but he's living amongst, born into the world and kingdom of the animals in a barn. We're talking about the God who created the heavens and the firmament thereof. And now he's got one star hanging over his head as a witness to his birth. He was born in the most unlikely place. But why? To show us just how low he's willing to (laughs) go. Because in Bethlehem is not where you expect to meet the Messiah. In a bar is not where you expect to meet the Savior. In a feeding trough is not where you expect to meet a newborn king. But it tells us that just like Bethlehem is an unexpected place to find Jesus, whatever your bond, your circumstances and place might be, you can expect God to be there. God says, no matter how far you are away from home, I'm willing to travel to meet you there. Fourth thing I noticed in this text about Jesus, the king. He was born wearing the most unlikely clothes for a baby. Born wearing the most unlikely clothes for a king. Most kings are born in royalty, in the palace with midwives on hand. Then they are dressed, arrayed with royal clothing. Clothing with fine purple linen, trimmed in jewels and gold. But Luke says that Mary, the mother of Jesus, she wrapped this baby in swaddling clothes. Now I like that word swaddling. I mean, it just sounds so cute. It sounds so babyish. We've read it and heard it so many times. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Now, 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 I need to explain what that means. What that really means was that there were no carters. There was no baby gap in Bethlehem. Even if there were, was, Mary and Joseph didn't have the money to buy baby clothes. So what she did was this. She took strips of her outer garment tore them wrapped them around the body and torso of Jesus to keep them warm took strips of her clothing tore them and wrapped them about his legs and his arm this is what she did she took her clothing to keep her baby warm listen to me careful because he's born king of kings But he's born poor into poverty. Now part of the reason why she would wrap her child, newborn child, in strips of clothing is because they would wrap the limbs so that the limbs, they thought, would always stay straight. (laughs) Unlike us, we have a baby and immediately throw them in the crib. Try to make them walk at three weeks old and wonder why they're bow-legged at six months old. Why would Jesus be born in rags? The same Jesus, before his death, took those rags off, got down on his knees with a basin of water. The teacher to the student, the master to the servant, and washed their feet. That same Jesus said, I'm going to get undressed one more time. And at Calvary's cross, he allowed them to strip him of his clothes naked and then to sell apart his clothes and lies. Why? So this Jesus said, I'm going to show you just how low I'm willing to go doesn't make any difference how raggedy your life look like and what you might be clothed in and sin and in shame and disgust let me tell you something Jesus Christ is here today whatever your circumstances might be whatever the timing might look like he's here today no matter how I'm going to say it like we say where I come from no matter how raggedy your life might look Jesus can dress you in his righteousness no matter how crooked your life might be Jesus can take the crooked and make it straight the fifth thing I noticed I hope y'all ain't getting bored with the story of Jesus is that Jesus the king he came for the most unlikely people (laughs) yeah I'm talking about you and I'm talking about me and I'm talking about them Jesus came was born into this world into the most unlikely people he didn't come for royal families per se he came to common folk. <laughs> Jesus said, I didn't come for good people. Here's the reason why, and I hate to burst your bubble sitting out there. He says, because there aren't any good people. He says, there are none that are good except God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of Jesus, of God. This is what he said to the, the Pharisees who had their noses and nose stuck up in the air and they're walking in their piousness. He says, only those who are sick need a physician they thought to themselves, well, I'm sure glad that we're not sick. No, Jesus said, you're all sick. It's just some have already been diagnosed with this sickness and others have not gone to the great physician to have an examination. In other words, all of us are sin sick in need of the great physician, in need of healing, and he came to us, unlikely people. (laughs) But why? Paul wrote to The believers in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2. And he says, while we were yet in sin, Christ died for us. He gave us life, made us one with him. For by grace we are saved. It's not of works. Then in Ephesians 2 and 7, he said it this way. That in the ages to come, in the future, God might show the exceeding riches of his grace. The exceeding, the bountifulness of his grace towards us. In his kindness towards us, in his kindness towards us in Christ. In other words, we walk around thinking God is a police officer with a billy club and mace in heaven. We walk around thinking God is trying to beat us down. We're walking around thinking God does not love us, that God does not care, that he's a cruel God. How can he allow all this to happen? And he said, I sent my son just to show you how gracious and how loving, how beneficent and how kind I really am. but why would Jesus come in human flesh in poverty humanity that's a deep question just to save time let me give you my brief answer God could not save us mankind from heaven And I hate to say what God can't do But we gotta understand that Christ took upon human flesh for a reason, God. Because it is mankind, humans, in the flesh, that sinned and transgressed against God, starting with Adam and Eve. And they, therefore it brought forth the wrath of God against mankind. The only way the wrath of God can be satisfied is by the justice of a righteous God. This righteous God demands justice because of the unrighteous acts that have been committed against him. And in order for justice to be met or made, therefore, you would have to have a human being who was willing to make the sacrifice on behalf of those who committed sins in the flesh. Flesh had to absorb the human had to absorb the penalty that all of us as humans rightly deserve. Justice demanded payment, but sin was committed in the flesh, so therefore flesh had to absorb the penalty of our sins. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 said it this way, For surely it is not the angel he helps, it's not the angels that Christ helped, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had, Christ had, to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God and that he might make atonement, propitiation for the sins of the people. In other words, Jesus had to come as a man, not an angel, because he wasn't concerned about saving angels, he was concerned about saving man. So therefore he had to take the penalty that was due to all of mankind in a human man-like body. How low will it go? There ain't nothing lower than the cross church. There's nothing ro- lower than Roman execution. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death. And Paul emphasizes to the Philippians, it wasn't just death. He didn't get sick and die. He didn't get hit by a milk truck and die. No, he didn't fall off a ladder and die. He he wasn't even a, a, a martyr and he died. He became a living sacrifice. Even to the point of death. He died a death that he did not deserve to die. For crimes that he did not commit. How low is that for you church? I get offended when somebody lie on me. I get upset when I was a child in school. And somebody blamed me for something that I did. Uh-oh. But Christ voluntarily. Said I know I didn't do it. But I'll take it on their behalf. How low will he go? <laughs> Last and finally, this King Jesus, he was born low, but he was born low to be lifted high. <laughs> this is where we're going to start praising God, I hope. Yes, Jesus, he came in the lowest form as a pauper. But on the, on the other hand, the reason why God sent him into poverty born as a child is so that the greatness of God will be seen and will be glorified for those whom he was born and he died for Luke 2 14 the same passage we're reading just seven verses later said it this way Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Glory to God. We like the peace and goodwill toward all men on earth. But it starts off by saying glory to God in the highest. The reason why God sent his son to die in this earth, to be born of human flesh, is that he might be glorified. That he might be worshipped. That he might be adored. That he might be praised. That he might be preeminent. <laughs> That's the reason why Paul wrote in Philippians 2 and verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him. He has highly exalted him. He, he suffered death on the cross. But he says therefore, that the reason why God sent his son to the cross is therefore, verse 9, that God also has highly exalted, highly, can I emphasize that again? Exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. The name is not a name, but the name, the authority, the reverence and respect above every name and is at this name, Jesus. This is what he says emphatically. Every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under earth. And he repeats it that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the father. Why? Because he came into this world and he emptied himself. Why? So that he might be praised, glorified, and worshipped as a result of it. He was born into poverty in a barnyard. No room for him in the inn. Rejected by his own. Laid in a manger. Humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. Why? So that he might be highly exalted. But how did God do it? What does this exaltation look like? He has given him a name. I'm going to repeat it. Above every name. Above every name. It's the greatest name. The most glorious name. It is the most famed name the greatest notoriety in that name, the greatest honor in that name, the greatest respect in that name, the greatest weight in that name, the greatest value in that name, the greatest treasure in that name, the greatest reverence in that name, the greatest adoration in that name, the greatest beauty in that name, the greatest salvation in that name, the name of Jesus, that every knee shall bow. There's no exceptions. As a matter of fact, he went through three different categories and areas. He says, I want you to know that nobody's going to be exempted. He said, let me start here. Who's going to bow? Who's going to confess that Jesus is Lord? First of all, those who are in heaven. Every angel is going to bow down and confess that Jesus is Lord. Every redeemed person that is in heaven will bow down and confess and worship Jesus Christ and adore him as Lord. But he didn't stop there. Even those who are left on the earth, they're going to bow down and worship and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every folded arm is going to be raised. It doesn't make any difference if you're saved or you're not saved. If you're on earth, you're going to bow down and you're going to admit what God has been saying all along, that Jesus is worthy of worship and of praise every saved person who acknowledged that Jesus is Lord of my life but we didn't want him to be Lord of every area, we're going to bow down and admit, you are absolutely right, I was absolutely wrong I wouldn't give you this but you're Lord over it anyway this is the part that gripped me right here and even of those under the earth the demons that have been cast in hell And those who have died and rejected Jesus Christ, this is what he's saying to us. Do you know what folk are doing in hell even now? They're worshiping God. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. But here's the problem. We, the redeemed, have the blessing and benefit of worshiping God. And the joy and deep satisfaction we receive as a result of worshiping out of our own volition, out of our own heart, out of our own gratitude. Where those who are in hell, demons and humans, who have rejected Jesus Christ, you still gotta worship, you still gotta bow down, but you never enjoy the satisfaction of worshiping God. That's what's going on in hell. Worship. Let me tell you something. There's no atheist in hell. Everybody in hell knows that there is a God. There's no agnostic in hell. Everybody in hell know who that God is specifically and they're bowed down to worship him and his name is called Jesus. A name above all names. So the question is not if we're going to praise him. The question is when are you going to praise him? You're either going to praise him now or you're going to praise him later. But if you praise him later, you're going to miss out on the joy and the benefit of worshiping God. Woo. Let me say this before I take my seat or get out of here. We like the baby Jesus in the manger. We don't like the Lord Jesus on the throne. Let me say it another way. The retailers in the mall like the baby Jesus because he's good for bank. They say keep the baby Jesus out and Christians and folk that believe in December 25th. They come out, charge cards, cash, dig and borrow. They do whatever because they put money in the bank. But they don't want to submit to the Lord Jesus. They want to keep him Jesus' baby in a manger. But they don't want to hold him up high and make him preeminent. Here's the reason why he will affect your bank account. And you can't make merchandise out of him. Church folk like the baby Jesus. Because we can hold him in a manger. And we can control and manage him. So he becomes our puppet on the string. But we don't like the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh no. Because if he's Lord, then he's Lord over our mouths, he's Lord over our thoughts, he's Lord over our attitudes, he's Lord over our bank accounts, he's Lord over our credit cards, he's Lord over our time, he's Lord over our talents, he's Lord over our attention, he's Lord over our affection. We like the treasures that the baby Jesus brings, but we don't like to treasure the Lord Jesus Christ as the greatest treasure of all. The world is screaming today, give me baby Jesus, but I don't want the Lord Jesus. Give me baby Jesus. I love me some baby Jesus. <laughs> the question is not is Jesus your baby in the manger, but is he Lord in your residence? Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. So the question now is not how low will he go? I'll give you five pictures of just how low he's willing to go for me and you and for the world. But now that you know that he's already gone low and he's with us, the question is what are you going to do with him while he's here? Will you accept him? Will you reject him? Will you embrace this indescribable gift that is beyond words and comprehension the greatest savior the greatest lover you will ever know But will you say I don't need you in my life I like the picture and the story of you in the manger but I ain't trying to take you home to sit on the throne of my heart that decision is up to you how low will it go even the death of the cross how low will he go you might feel like i run out of time or i've got plenty of time but let me tell you god's time is not our time and i'm here to tell you he is always on time how low will he go he'll meet you in the most unlikely circumstances in the most unlikely places you are never out of the reach of god how low will he go It making a difference how filthy we're dressed today, and what unrighteousness we're clothed in, what our lives might look like. But He's willing to make us righteous by giving us His righteousness as the righteous attire that we can wear and identify with Him. God will change your life around. I'm a living witness of that. He will change. You ain't never gonna be perfect on this side, but He will change transform your life on a daily basis i know i've got some witnesses out here the question again is what are you going to do with him i know he's low but will you exalt him on high <laughs> let us pray father god we give you thanks we praise you O oh lord for you're worthy to be worshiped praised, and adored and god i thank you lord for your people I pray, O oh Lord, that if there's anyone here today that may not know Christ as the Lord and Savior, that they would surrender to a God who loves us so deeply and so dearly. A God who demonstrated his own kindness by giving something in someone that we would dare to sacrifice. None of us would ever give our children away to die for the world and for sinners and people. Who would ridicule and spit on us. But oh father you didn't give your son for friends. You gave your son away for enemies. God we thank you. And if there's anybody here that may not know Christ. Pray that they would open their heart. And accept this indescribable gift. A gift of all gifts. A gift of eternal life and forgiveness. A gift oh father that cleanses. Our consciousness of condemnation and of shame and we know we can stand before you regardless of what people think about us and they see us as one in jesus you see us as one in christ jesus your son lord i pray for those of us who have accepted christ as our savior that now when we leave this place he'll be our lord he'll be our master and reign in our hearts lord i pray today we would submit ourselves to him and every conversation, every thought, every deed. Lord, every relationship, every business transaction. Lord, as stewards, I pray, oh Father, we submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In our time, of our talents, and of our resources. God, I pray that we submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ in our attitude, in our value system. Be thou glorified, oh Lord. Now, when we leave this place, help us to share your love and kindness with the world filled with crumbs and hopelessness. And I pray, O oh Father, that we can offer to them freely what you have given to us freely. Jesus Christ, the bread of life, and not only baby in a manger, but king upon a throne. In Jesus' great name, amen. And amen. 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 Come on, let's make.